Welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hey, I'm Mariah Rose. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. We're here for the spooky season. This is not quite Halloween for those listening. Well, maybe if you're not listening on the day of. of maybe you, yeah. Maybe it is it. Halloween. Uh, but this is an episode leading up to Halloween, and we've got something special planned to get into the mood of the, the, the season. season. Yeah. But before we do, kind of just see what's going on in your life. I noticed you were just, you were rocking out there. You had the moves. I had some music playing and you, mm-hmm. you just came in, burst into this room, pelvic thrusting yeah. and grooving. Fist pumping. Gyrating. Yeah, I think that our listeners probably don't know I'm a really amazing dancer, always on the beat. Yeah, it just takes the right kind of music to get you going. <laughs> Fancy feet is what they call me. Yeah. Uh, would you like to know what you were dancing to so enthusiastically? <laughs> what? <laughs> You're a little uh, a little Scientology jam from L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> <laughs> the Road to Freedom. Wow. Have Our... that cassette and um and it's quite it's quite something. I think uh, Leaf Garrett was singing when you came in. Nice. Yeah. John Travolta's on the album. Wow. A lot a lot of people. I, I would instantly join a cult. I think I'm pretty, pretty susceptible to cults. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know L. Ron Hubbard. You know, he was a composer and he, he knew how to write a hit. This isn't the album that I really want. The one that I've been after for quite a while is that 74 Apollo Stars, you know, that band he put together when they had that cruise ship. Oh, yeah. I've been looking for that record in every thrift store forever and it's never turned up yet. But Shocking. I'll find it eventually, but this will... This will have to do. <laughs> well, other than watching my sweet dance moves, what have you been up to? Uh, just getting ready for Halloween. We finally pulled out the decorations today. Yeah, I feel kind of bad. So we have some good friends who are super on the ball about Halloween. Like they start setting up, I think, maybe August, definitely September. They're the type of um, friends who... You remember that documentary? Did you ever watch it? The American Scream documentary that follows three people who go over the top decorating for Halloween. Mm -hmm. I feel like if they just were given a little bit more of a nudge, they could take it to the like extreme level where they would be the showstopper on the block and everybody would come by. Yeah, except for theirs is mostly interior decorating. It's really phenomenal. It's like a haunted house. When you walk in, you're like, whoa. But from the exterior, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't. It's like a little secret jewel, like a geode. And you have to be invited in to, to get the full experience. It's true. It's really fun. But after we went to their house the first Halloween, I was kind of like, eh. Because I just, I don't have that kind of energy and dedication that our friends do. And everything we do pales in comparison. So we just put up like our 42 decorations. I don't even think we have 40 things. No, I think we have had two. Well. I don't know. There's like some things. They've been building up. Our decorations are more like a Christmas tree where it's just random ornaments that have been kept through the years. Mm -hmm. There's no rhyme or reason or like theme or anything impressive. No. We do have Josie, our skeleton, that we reel out. She's normally in our bedroom. (laughs) Oh, she looks good this year. Yeah. She's a full-size skeleton and I put on, I found thrifting uh, maybe a month ago this incredible vintage witch mask a latex witch mask from it's stamped 1983 and it's really creepy mm-hmm. i actually got it to wear in a music video for my own project but it was just sitting there on the shelf and 
I thought, oh man, a skeleton would look great in this. So I put it on and it was super creepy. It looks like a leather face. And it's then, pretty freaky. Then I pulled out my cloak, witch cloak, and put mm-hmm. it on her. And then it just kept growing. I think yeah. she's got a Grim Reaper yeah. you know, uh, blade now and mm-hmm. um, quite festive. Right, right next to the piano. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> She'll probably stay there. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so we decorated finally. It's like just right around the corner. Halloween is not far off, but you know what? We're doing it. Yeah. I wonder how people are with, I I would say a lot of people I've talked to have been procrastinating decorating this year for some reason. I feel like we're usually a little, little sooner to, to pull this stuff out, but, but we're like a week out. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of shameful, but I don't know. I love Halloween. I think it's a fun season. I don't actually like people coming to my door where I have to answer it over and over. So we're definitely scroogey that way. But we love like going to Halloween parties, taking the kids out. That's all fun stuff. Yeah, it is fun. But we've got that coming up. So hopefully everybody's ready, Mm -hmm. ready to celebrate. Um, Other than that, I got my album coming out. I don't know. I think it'll be out by the time our next episode comes out i think so it'll be released but you know i'll share it on my we'll remind instagram you. and stuff but that's been that's been quite a build-up to yeah. get this album made and then it's i so also good. submitted everything for the vinyl release so there'll be final records and everything so we'll update everybody on on that as it comes but that's been kind of all time all consuming for me i'll say yeah yeah we got a lot going on also family 5k but we're doing it in costume well, that's what has been suggested. I don't oh, know no. what costumes we're wearing. I'm working on it. Don't you worry. Wink. Oh, oh no. You're making family costumes? I winked. As I said, wink. <laughs> so that it would translate to audio. Anyway. Well, that's fun. I'm sure everybody's busy this time of year. I really love fall. It's my favorite season. Mm-hmm. I am totally cliche. I absolutely love Halloween. It's my favorite holiday. It has been since I was a tiny kid. That will never go away, no matter how annoying everybody on Instagram is. I will. They cannot ruin it for me. I think it's great. Let people be enthusiastic. Who cares? Go crazy with your decorating. Really talk about your latte. Fine. Have fun. There are so few joys in this world. Let them have it. Yeah. Let them have it. Yeah. So we decided to do something interesting. We were tossing around a few ideas for this episode, which is, I guess, pretty close to our Halloween yeah. Spooktacular, but uh, we thought about a movie, and that was, seemed kind of boring. I mean, there is a cool movie we want to watch, but just wanted to do something a little more interesting. And then we found a TV special we thought would be fun, only to find that um, Joe Bob did it, like yeah. everything. Which is, okay, in our defense, this was a deep, deep cut one that mm-hmm. I've never heard anybody talk about. So I thought we had struck gold with... As you know, fellow podcasters out there especially know, when you do this year in, year out, every time it gets to Halloween, it's slim pickings to find stuff to cover Mm -hmm. that hasn't been covered a billion times. You keep wanting us to do Halloween on ice. I really want to do Halloween on ice. That's like a must watch for me every Halloween. Just for you, you keep acting like the rest of us watch it with you. Well, I put it on and hope that you guys watch it. We scatter like cockroaches. Dude, that Freddy Krueger on ice skates skit is Mm -hmm. amazing. But that's 90s, so we'll have to do a time travel for that. Okay. We should put a poll on our Instagram and see if they want us to time travel for Halloween on ice. 
You got no choice. Okay. You do that. Make it happen. Okay. I will. All right. I won't forget. Anyway, <laughs> we finally got around to settling on a topic that you brought up. And I think this is really fun. I honestly have not really heard this, you know, brought up on other podcasts that we listen to. Would you like to explain to everybody what we are doing for this episode? Sure. Well, this is, I was thinking about Halloween in the 80s, because you and I were kids in the 80s. And I thought about the urban legends that we share um, leading up to Halloween. I, I think that's the first time I remember hearing an urban legend. You know, the ghost stories that we tell each other that are kind of based on a story told by somebody, by somebody else, you know. And there's a little nugget of truth to it or something that rings true enough that it makes you a little scared. And I thought there were so many great ones in the 80s. It's not like nowadays with, you know, the Momo and stuff where it's just kind of dumb and debunked yeah, immediately. And all that. Yeah. yeah. So this one is... Just an episode based on some of those 80s or somehow 80s related um, urban legends that we know. Yeah. And how we're going to do this. I'm super excited to do this. I think this is going to be fun. Is we're going to take turns sharing an urban legend uh-huh. and just kind of explain what the legend was and talk about it in pop culture. But um, this is super fun. And I feel like this is absolutely in line with the season so perfect everybody's ready for halloween why not share some spooky stories yes and in mine at least i am i think you are too kind of debunking some of these or bringing a little truth or maybe the origin story if you happen to know it so you might learn something yeah um before i forget yeah i have to go back to l ron hubbard real quick oh okay a funny fact about the cassette that i was just playing (laughs) <laughs> is whoever owned it was like, you can tell it's a little old lady handwriting on the back. It's like that chicken scratch handwriting. Okay. They went through each song on the back and either scratched them out because they didn't like them oh. or circled them and wrote, okay, circled it and went pretty good and wow. and critiqued every song on the album. I love that. I do that with cookbooks. Yeah? Yeah. I've, I've never seen that on a cassette, and I thought it was really funny. We should do that from now on. Harsh critic from the Scientology group. <laughs> <laughs> They're hmm. hard to win over. All right. Well, it was all a, a jam for me, and I danced. Boy, did you. And we're about to dance into this episode. The seamless segue. <laughs> I'm, like I said, man, Paul Blart of segues. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. So we're going to dive right in jump right in this hole you're gonna well since this was your idea mm-hmm. you are going to kick it off yep. so you'll start Let, yeah so let's um let's set the mood real quick with a little spooky music okay should we have spooky music going the whole time yeah maybe will that annoy people maybe in and out okay as long as it's not that crazy high pitch um witch noise that goes only know. i think that should be over and only dedicated listeners can hear what we're saying <laughs> okay <laughs> like we're shouting over the top of the witch sounds yeah okay yeah sure let's throw in some spooky music this is our fun episode i'm, I'm gonna turn no on other our... episode we've ever done has been fun i'm gonna turn on our fog machine oh cool here we go not the time machine no no Careful, no 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 because no. they're right next to each other nope fog machine only okay Okay. All right. Well, let's hear our first story. So, like I said, we're going to hop right down the hole. Deep into the hole. Deep. Um, we're going to start with the well to hell. Have you heard this one? Absolutely. And it's fascinating. 
It is, but not as great as you think. It is as great as I think, and I don't believe already. I'm just going to front load this and say everything you're about to say is a lie. Okay. It's all true. (laughs) It's known as the Well to Hell. This is an urban legend that I first heard as a young girl, maybe an early teenager. So, you know, 10-ish. When did this come about? We'll get to it. Oh, okay, okay. So I've heard various iterations of this same story, but it wasn't until a little later when I heard proof with the recorded sounds of the souls of the damned that I was like, oh. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. So this legend is actually set in the 1980s, and it generally goes, I'm sure if you've heard it before, you've heard your own version. So as we move forward with telling these, just let it go. You heard your version, we heard no, ours. That's what I like about urban legends, is that we're going to tell one version of it. Yeah. But I love that every town has their uh-huh. own spin on it locally, like a local flavor to the same story. Totally. Like the um, the ones with the like gravity hills where children's hands push you up the hill. I think every town has yes. one of those. We're not covering those, but every town has one. Yeah, so no, let's hear it. I don't think anybody's going to be too uptight about that. I think it's just fun to hear the general okay. urban legends. Okay, so 1980s Russia, there were some scientists, and they were drilling a hole straight down, straight down mm-hmm. into the Siberian tundra. They're like, let's just go (laughs) so they're going with a borehole and the legend begins 1989 actually when trinity broadcasting network reported on their network that there was proof that hell exists on earth man this is good and siberia is so good you remember that I've been really into this Siberian black metal band lately yeah you have they they're so good and I feel like um, Siberia is the perfect setting for anything hell related. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And so obviously you can tell just from the name Trinity Broadcasting Network that it's a religious uh, network. The report stated that a Dr. Azakov, and that's pretty consistent, and his team were digging their big hole <laughs> nine miles, and it's very specifically nine miles deep. So straight down nine miles when they broke through into like a cavern or something. And they were able to tell that it was almost 2000 degrees Fahrenheit. I don't I don't know why they could tell this. So they got a heat resistant microphone because obviously who isn't curious about what it sounds like? Yeah. Why did they put a microphone down there? No questions. So the doctor curious about the sounds at the center of the earth grabbed his heat resistant microphone and shoots it down nine miles and recorded these sounds. Okay, so before we go on, <laughs> general thoughts. Uh, yeah, those are the souls of the damned. It's it's pretty metal. It's pretty cool. So those are said to be the damned souls in hell screaming through this microphone. Um, did you hear this sound as a kid or did you not hear it till the internet? Yeah, no, I wouldn't. Okay. I, there were a few like avenues that you could hear this recording but it wasn't really until the 90s with the advent of the internet that this 
really exploded. It found like a second wind as oh. far as urban legends yeah, go. Yeah, no, I didn't know about this in the 80s. I found okay. about much later after it was already like definitely on the internet yeah so same for me i didn't hear the actual recording and i'm using air quotes here when i say recording until internet times anyway so we're all wondering is this true of course it is true actually but um it's true in the way that geologists did dig a hole Mm-hmm. So they did. They dug a hole that was about seven miles deep. So I don't know why they felt like they added to needed to add a couple extra miles. Mm. And it was closer to like Finland and Norway that they dug this hole, and they they did find something. Would you like to know what they found? A pocket of gas. Geological anomalies. Oh, okay. They, they didn't find hell. So, so how did this get started? Unless hell is. A geological anomaly? anomaly yeah. No. We find Helen Applebee's. That's where we find no, it. No, we find it at Walmart. Oh, yeah. Oh, what true. if they put the microphone down and it was just the sounds of Walmart? <laughs> <laughs> yep. That would be pretty cool. So I guess what happened was originally there was some rando religious newspaper that just ran this article about hell being found in Siberia. That's so cool. And then the Trinity Broadcasting Network pick it up and it just kind of snowballed from there. And actually there's a funny little side story which some people who've heard this story heard about bats flying out of this hole. Did you hear that one? No. Okay, so the funny little side story is that a Norwegian teacher was absolutely incensed by this nonsense that people were buying into it. And so he kind of concocted a little scheme. He fabricated a story that a bat-like monster flew out of this nine-mile oh, hole. Cool. And he sent an article, as well as an, I think it was an English translation, some translated version, to the network, as well as his personal address and the address of a pastor friend of his, because they concocted the scheme together, and sent it to the Trinity Broadcasting Network, and instead of fact-checking it, they just ran with the random article and also shared that information about... Oh, that a demon bat flew out of the uh-huh. hole to hell? Yeah. And it Whoa. didn't, obviously. How big was the hole? Do you know? Well... Like, I mean, was it wide? You could put a person down in? Or was it tiny for a I microphone? I don't know. It was a borehole, the seven-mile one. I mean, we know you could put a microphone down it. Yeah, I was just curious. I didn't know if it was something that you could, you know, somebody could just jump down in. I don't think so. But I did not look up what the real seven mile hole looked like. Is there, is it still open? I don't, you have a lot of questions about this big hole. (laughs) Well, it's really, dude, how could you not? It's really cool. It's such a cool story. They found rocks. No, they found voices of hell. Okay, actually, I'm sorry to break this to you. I do know where these voices come from. Oh, no. Womp, womp, womp. Final nail in the coffin. The sounds that were recorded are actually proven to be, like, slightly adjusted um, recordings from a Mario Bava movie, Baron Blood. Really? Yep. That's it. So they didn't record anything? No! That was all made up? Who would stick a microphone down into a hole when you're looking for rocks? Rocks don't make sounds. I was definitely wondering how they got nine miles of a mic cord. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Heat-resistant mic cord. That's really a lot of yeah. a lot of cable. Yeah, so somebody just built on this, but it's just Aww, a chaos that's a bummer. Story. I didn't know that the recording was fake. Sorry. 
No oh. damned souls were screaming to be released. Wow. Okay. Well, what a great start to our Urban Legends episode. I'm going to say I'm a little disappointed. I'm kind of going to continue to do this. Oh, great. Thanks. Yep. We should just do this more often. Yeah, it's fun. You just burst my bubble and make me depressed. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I've got an urban legend for you. What? A classic one. A tale as old as time. Well, actually, it started in the 60s, continued through the 70s, but really took off in the 80s. Mm-hmm. It's got different variations. Um, some of it is kind of creepier than others. And that is the story of the spiders and the hare. Yeah. So some of it's like, you know, when you think about scary stories to tell in the dark, the red spot, it's more spiders that are embedded in somebody's body and then they burst out. Mm -hmm. But this one in particular that I want to focus on is more about the spiders that lived inside of supposedly either, you know, beehive hairdos from the 60s or dreadlocks or something like that. But I don't know about you, but this was one that absolutely made its rounds growing up, especially in the 80s. Big time. Definitely remember hearing this. And as the story goes for the traditional one and why it started in the 60s was that women would hairspray their hair into these crazy, you know, poofs and then not do anything with them they would just kind of sit in that Mm -hmm. and they'd sleep with it like that and that um black widows would find their ways in there it's always like the most poisonous spider too yeah black widows really prefer a solitary life but okay yes and they'd go in there and they would lay their eggs and then one day the (gasps) eggs hatch no all the little spiders come out and bite the person and they die no okay what a fun story however unfortunately been proven that a spiders would not want to live in there and b even if it was black widows that there wouldn't be enough venom to actually kill somebody two things here one do you remember a few years ago that video of the person like trying to scoot with a broom or something a big spider and then they touch it and all of the babies on its back scatter Mm mm-hmm that's kind of what I've always imagined. That is a nightmare. And of course, it happened in Australia. That's the only place That's that creepy. can happen. Yeah. And number two, I first heard some iteration of this story right around the same time. My neighbor, her name was Erin. She had a Pomeranian named Foxy. Anyway, she came to school with an earache and it got so bad. Her family took her out, brought her back later that day. They had found a moth in her ear. Oh. And so I was like, it's all true. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Now, speaking of black widows, my father did get bit by a black widow. Mm-hmm. It was in our garage and it was on the door handle or something. And he went to grab the door handle and it bit him on the hand. And I remember, distinctly remember having to take him to the hospital and stuff because he got bit by a black widow. Ugh. Okay. But about this story. Okay. Great, creepy, classic story. Classic. Every town has one. But I also have this week's fun fact. What? This story in particular is close to home because I too experienced this firsthand. I spent the first few years of my life in California. Mm-hmm. And we lived in this little cul-de-sac in a, a neighborhood in Merced, California. And we had these neighbors across the street who were kind of weird. And in my mind, as I've gotten older, they've morphed into the family from the Burbs. Yes, I was going to guess that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is definitely how I remember them in my head. Perfect. I remember the boy being really weird. 
but I remember the neighborhood kids telling me, so I would have been maybe four at the time, and this really stood out to me and terrified me, was that his mother, the old lady there, who had a beehive hairdo, Uh that there were um, spiders found in her hair and that they crawled out one night and they bit her. And so I always thought that that was true because it happened to my neighbor only to find out years later that there was just an urban legend. And they just attached it to this woman. Yes. They absolutely. So everybody in the neighborhood thought she was the one that had the spiders in her hair. (gasps) I love it. Yeah. Pretty cool. That is cool. That's the story of the spiders in the hair, urban legend. Uh, quite, quite fun. I love all the different variations I've read over the years. It just is, it never gets old. All right. You ready for my next one? Yeah, let's keep this going. This is fun. I don't know what you're doing next. All right. This one is an urban legend I have heard morphed into many iterations. One version is that there was an insane inmate who escaped from an asylum, sometimes with a hook hand and other times just an escaped mental patient. There is another hook hand legend that dates back to earlier in the 20th century. You know, the one where they're like tapping on the roof. Like the lovers? Yeah. Is that the one you're doing? No. Oh, okay. That one kind of morphs into this one. Oh, so this is more. Oh, this is because it's more modern. Yeah, so this is an 80s one, and actually it's a real one. Really? Yes, but I heard it. So the problem is, and part of the reason it entered the urban legend is because it does get attached to that hook hand story about the escaped inmate. Okay. Oh, now you got my attention. Yeah, so. That's just earlier in the 20th century. I think the original hook hand dates back to like the 1940s. Anyway, in the story, the lunatic would attack and kill young women or sometimes couples who were like having a makeout session near an abandoned mental asylum. Right. So <laughs> remember Doom Asylum? That was a good movie. Oh, yeah. I should go back and listen to our episode. <laughs> yeah, that's a good movie. So you've heard a variation of the story, correct? Well, yeah. I mean, Lover's Lane, the whole idea, there's even the hook in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. No, yeah, right. That's like a classic story. This one actually has a really decent uh, documentary on it that you can watch and get like all of the grisly details if you're into that. I'm definitely not going to go into grisly details today because we are not a true crime podcast. So this is the story of Cropsy. Cropsy? Yes, yeah, C-R-O-P-S-E-Y. I don't know this. Okay. Well, so there is some truth to this story. The true story is actually pretty terrifying, and I can see why it became an urban legend, because it does have a lot of the same elements. The true story does start at a state hospital in Staten Island, Willowbrook State School. The school was for children with developmental disabilities, and it was opened, actually, until 1987. This is actually pretty shocking because Geraldo Rivera did an expose on Willowbrick in 1972. And I know, Geraldo Rivera is not great. (laughs) Such a kook. Uh, More than that. Anyway... 1972, he released an expose of Willowbrook, and they basically revealed that the conditions were abysmal. Really, really awful, shocking, shocking information was revealed. It included, like, uh, sexual abuse of the the patients. Mm -hmm. It was just awful. 
And it took them more than a decade to close it after this. You know, unfortunately, that's the story for a lot of these asylums throughout America. That's why a lot of them were shut down is that it was just completely corrupt and very abusive. Yeah. And actually, Willowbrook led to some major changes in the system that was in place up till then. But we're not going into that. The same year that the school closed, there was a man and a former janitor at the school. His name was Andre Rand. And he was arrested because uh, he was suspected in the disappearance of a murder and eventual murder of a 12-year-old girl with Down syndrome. So this is all part of the true story. Yes, this is all the true story. But here's where it gets interesting. When he, when the murder happened, the abduction and murder, he was homeless and living on the grounds. Ooh, that's even creepier. In the forest. So it's true. He really was doing this. Oh, that's creepy. Do you remember when you, when we lived in Denver and you worked for that one company? Mm-hmm. And that down in the basement, they found where that person had been living. Oh, gosh. It was like straight out of a horror movie. Yeah. So we got to tell, like, let's put a pin in Cropsy here for a second. So I was working at this really, really cool old building in uh, downtown Denver. It was across from the Capitol. It's where, who, Kerouac wrote something like On the Road or something like that. He stayed there while he was writing On the Road, because I think it had been there it had been something else at the time, but it was really a rundown building. Like the upstairs was all office spaces, but the basement was storage. And I would often have to go down into the basement to get some of our like old files or whatever. And I was really creeped out by the basement because it was like peeling paint, but it was painted over old like stones, not even bricks. It was just like lead paint heaven too. And it had this creepy look down there. The lights, I went down there once with you and Boy, it was it was really straight out of like a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Yeah, and I told my boss, I was like, I'm really creeped out to go down in the basement. I because it was also labyrinthine. Labyrinthine? Labyrinthine. Anyway, it was like a labyrinth down there. And I told my boss it was so big and so freaky that I felt like there would be, you know, I said some sort of albino castle freak living down there who was (laughs) white because they had never seen the sun and they ate rodents. And she goes, well, he isn't an albino. And I went, what? And apparently the owner of this building, this office complex, let his weird brother live down there. Oh, creepy. So there was just some dude living down there. And you and I eventually walked all through there and I didn't really see signs of a living space. So so I don't know. So creepy down there. It was dank. Okay. So anyway, this guy was living in the woods, right? Yeah. He was homeless, living on the grounds of the abandoned school. He was also weirdly previously charged for kidnapping an entire busload of kids. What? He didn't hurt them. He just like took him to the airport and made some demands. Was he a former patient or janitor? No. Okay. He was the janitor. Well, I know this... you said that, but I didn't know like was he, he also a patient? Okay. He clearly should have been. He's also linked to the disappearances of five other girls, although and women. No bodies have ever been found, and he was eventually convicted in the murder of one woman, but he's believed to have been a serial killer. So all of these stories about an escaped mental patient living on the grounds have some basis in reality because there was, in fact, an absolute psycho living on the grounds of a mental hospital killing young women. 
Did he have a hook hand? No, no hook hand. Ah, oh, darn. It just kind of morphed with a hook hand story because of the whole escaped lunatic. Okay. Yeah. Man, that's creepy. Yeah, it's, I think, a good lesson in how these word of mouth stories kind of blend because I can imagine somebody saying there was an escaped lunatic with a hook hand and he was on Lover's Lane. And then also hearing the story of Cropsy and combining them because they're so similar. If you're if you've heard both and you retell it to a friend, those would be facts that easily blend. And they caught him eventually? Yeah, he's still alive. Oh, weird. He's in prison. Oh, wow. Yeah. Last week, police arrested 43-year-old Andre Rand, a convicted child sex offender, and charged him with kidnapping Jennifer. Now they want to know if Rand is connected to the disappearance of other Staten Island girls. And they've never linked him officially to the other murders it's just suspected it's pretty well known he's kind of um bragged about it in prison and stuff yeah i guess if you're not getting out no it is what it is he shall not wow okay well that's a good one yeah are you ready for you ready for mine lay it on me okay this one is also a very 80s one although this one um I don't hear a lot of people talk about as much. So I wonder if it's more regional or maybe it's just certain time periods. You had to be alive during that time period. Okay. But this is one that definitely uh, I was swept up in in the 80s. All right. Absolutely. Like major, major memories of this one. So as we always keep dipping from this wonderful well yeah. of the satanic panic. Oh, yes. We're going into classic 80s urban legend. That involves Satanists driving around looking for virgins to kidnap and sacrifice to their mm -hmm. dark lord. The version that I'm going to be telling is the one that I heard as a child in elementary school. Ugh. And it was very real to me when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So I think for those of, of our listeners who know we're always kind of bringing up elements of the Satanic Panic and those of... Of you who follow my Instagram, my tape page, you know, I love collecting any kind of Christian propaganda documentaries about the satanic panic because it's very near and dear to me. I, I lived through it and I had an experience of thinking some of this was very real. And this one was probably the pinnacle for me mm -hmm. was in elementary. The urban legend that we believed was fact was that there was a van, like a black van driving around town. And this van that's driving around, this black van, mm -hmm. is filled with Satanists. <laughs> just, <laughs> just bursting at the gills. Yeah. I imagine them to be like the misfits from Jem. Just like, <laughs> come on, man, let's get into some trouble. Anyway, these Satanists are driving around and they're specifically looking for blonde hair, blue-eyed children mm -hmm. to abduct, to sacrifice to Satan. And when I was a kid... It was all over. Like, yeah. it was serious to the point of even some teachers were nervous about, you need to be careful. You can't walk home. You had teachers talk to Absolutely. you? And you know what's funny? When I was researching this, I came across mess message boards and stuff. And they were saying their teachers were also like, some kids weren't allowed to go out on the playground if they had blonde hair and blue eyes. Wow. And then I found all these actual reports that were submitted and newspaper articles from the late 80s that were 
um, all these stories that towns were in a panic that there were these groups of Satanists driving around looking for blonde hair, blue eyed kids. Now, I was not blonde hair, blue eyed. I was the opposite of that. But that didn't make me any less terrified that there were people driving around town looking to abduct and kill children. Yeah, because what if they couldn't find a blondie and you were close enough? Yes. And then to add to that, in my town in particular growing up, there are also these urban legends of like, yes, and you know, there was a child found in the dumpster, which of course wasn't true. Or there was a building found downtown that ended up being filled with animal sacrifices. Mm-hmm. That was just classic 80s satanic panic. Mm-hmm. But for me... As a child in elementary, hearing the story of if you see oh, like a black van driving around, yeah. you need to run, you need to get to, you know, an adult. And so what's crazy is I remember being on the playground and we would be out there playing and looking for these vans oh, gosh. to be able to warn people that they were going to come abduct these children. And then when I would walk home, because I lived out of town, I lived way out of town yeah. in the desert. And the bus would drop me off and I had to walk a mile to my house by myself through the desert. And there was just one street. And I remember always looking down the road and you would see a car coming in the distance. And if it looked like a black van, I would run off the street under the fence and out into the wild desert to hide. And I would hide behind bushes until the car passed because I was so afraid that they were coming to abduct me. That's so wild. And they wonder why our generation is helicopter parenting. Yeah, for real. But what a great urban legend, because this Mm -hmm. did end up having a real effect through multiple communities. There were warnings issued Mm -hmm. of like keeping children off the playground during recess and stuff like that, because these Satanists were cruising around town looking for victims. I did not read any proof of this ever actually happening. But once the story took hold... It was, you know, off to the races. There were documentaries made. There were news programs put out there. And it was real. So this was a very uniquely 80s urban legend. Oh, I heard it too. Yeah, I mean, into the early 90s, basically like Satanic Panic era. But once, once that died out, so did that urban legend. But man, if you lived through it, it was no joke. I lived through it because I know if you see me on Instagram, you see me as a redhead, but I'm actually a blondie and I have blue eyes. So growing up, I was very afraid. I thought that they were after me. I just thought the Satanists were like I was their prime target, which is pretty narcissistic. But I was like, this is what they're after and I'm it. Yeah, that's pretty crazy but um you know it's a fun one it's a fun 80s urban legend oh it was do you remember the like very real thrill of being spooked when you were a kid i loved it and because they're like you said earlier there were these elements of truth like growing up out in the desert i remember going under a ditch and finding of course every place had you know pentagrams and stuff but i remember finding a mutilated cat and a mutilated dog Mm. and it was very clear that somebody did it And this was classic 80s. So there were elements of that. It's just that it was never to the extreme that pop culture made it. But as a child, somebody who's, you know, six or seven or eight, if you come across a mutilated cat with a pentagram, you know, over it under a bridge, which is what I found... It that's all all you need to let your imagination, you know, Mm -hmm. go wild. And so, yeah, it was um, very real to me. And I think that's why as an adult now, this period of time absolutely fascinates me because it was just such a unique place in time. 
Wow. Yeah. Anyway, that's the the blonde hair, blue eyed (laughs) abduction urban legend. That's a good one. Yeah. I'm going to actually take us in a totally different direction now. Okay. And I'm going to start in Greece. Oh, okay. Like a long time ago, Greece. Ancient Ancient Greece. Greece. Okay. Okay. This is one, this is an interesting story because it doesn't, it's not in the 80s. You won't have heard of it in the 80s. It's 1980 BC. (laughs) But it refers to the 80s. So you'll see where I'm going. But we got to start in Greece. Let's hop on. So Polybius was a Greek historian who is known for his discussions on the balance of power. If you've ever heard or used the term checks and balances, you are in some very distant way referring back to Polybius. He was born in 200 BC in Megalopolis in Arcadia. Uh Man, that sounds like a death metal band. Totally. Uh, Now, I actually kind of went down a rabbit hole here when I started my research, and I promise we're going to get to the 80s, but just... Okay, hey, man, this is our me. show. You just, you do what you want. Okay, so pause here with me for a moment while we talk about the word arcade. Okay, cool. I started wondering about the word, origin of the word arcade, uh, and it stems back, you know, dancing through history and landing smack dab in Greece. Arcadia, where the aforementioned Polybius comes from, gets its name from the Grecian god Arcos, who was a hunter. So Arcos can also mean bow. The town of Arcadia has become sort of, or the, the region of Arcadia has become sort of synonymous with the idea of utopia. Okay. Isn't that Was it a real place? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Megalopolis. Obviously real. <laughs> not a made up word at all. <laughs> Megalopolis. You know what? I take it back. More than a death metal band, it sounds like a Mega Man level. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Arcadia has become synonymous with Utopia, which is kind of funny to me because I think uh, spending an hour in arcade is maybe closer to the well to hell, unless I'm playing Miss Pac-Man, of course, but whatever. <laughs> um, anyway... Uh, utopian uh, also can mean like a uh, utopian space or a covered passageway. So it kind of makes its way through history to the arcade that we know now. In the modern world, it's meant of a, basically a place to play video games. So this is where our legend begins. Okay. Wow. <laughs> okay. History legend. See, I told you. We're going to end up back in the 80s. So now for the legend. It is said that in 1981 in Portland, Oregon, at a few different locations, a new arcade game showed up one day. Just kind of like appeared in all okay. of these arcade places. The name of the arcade game? Polybius. Okay. What? All right. And and the average teenage dork with braces and zits would know the backstory of who that no. Greek person was. No. Okay. Just checking. Uh, it said that the game was put out by a company with a German sounding name. And forgive me here. I'm not German. Sinischlosen? It was okay. I mean, I'm German. I am, I'll let you get by with that. I think 23andMe says I'm, 23andMe says I'm more German than you. What? I just showed you the other day. Aren't you part British? Yeah, 1%. <laughs> okay. Sinischlosen. It's not a German word, but it could be sort of made up by combining 
German words, Sinne, which means mind, and Lotion, which means clear. Uh, so at least this is what Google Translate tells me, but some online articles suggest it means sense dis- deletion. Okay. And I so I did an English-German backward translate, and that <laughs> kind of tracks. So do what you will with all of that. So mind deletion, whatever. Oh, was this put by the CIA put this in there or something? Well, back to our video game. It is said that it was like a big hit in the Portland arcades until things started to go awry. Also, I should mention that this arcade was said to be serviced by men in black. Of course. Who came and gathered information. Yeah. And then suddenly the gamers started having seizures, blackouts, convulsing. And then one day they were gone. All of the video games. And what year was this? 81. Wow, okay. Okay, so maybe you've heard this one, but if so, I can guarantee you did not hear it in the 1980s. It wasn't until the 90s that this one began circulating. Uh, oh, was this like a Reddit story kind of thing? No, you may actually have, if you were especially in Portland in the 80s, you probably are like, oh yeah, that, that tracks. I remember that weird stuff happened at the arcades in the 80s in Oregon. So there is actually a little nugget of truth at the center of this story. The Polybius story actually originated, at least in print, in the early 90s. It seems to be a genuine urban legend, but an author whose name is Brian Denning believes that this nugget of truth behind the legend is one that two gamers had medical issues after gaming on the same day in Portland. Wait, they both had seizures? No. One dude had been playing Asteroids for more than 24 hours, and he was being filmed, and I guess he was, like, stricken with stomach pains. (laughs) So he had his own Asteroids? Yes, he probably just was constipated. The other person got a really bad headache after playing Tempest. So those are the two events. Apparently, they were newsworthy at the time. Then... Around, I think it was like 10 days later, the FBI raided some Portland arcades. So those bits of information could easily, in your mind, weave together with this urban legend about this game. But truly, the reason that the FBI raided these arcades was because uh, it had something to do with illegal gambling. Where did the name for the arcade come from? I don't know. That seems pretty random. I don't know. Now there are video games, like modern video games that incorporate it, but there is no evidence that such a game existed, except there are like Redditors or people who get on weird random online threads and they're like, I worked for this game. And, you know, my name is Mr. Roach. I worked for the game. They offer no evidence, but they just... Oh, they're just fueling the fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just prodding it yep so that's it it's just eventually these random events some you know modern trolls who are making it into a creepy pasta and now it's an urban legend interesting uh-huh. oh that's a fun one yeah i kind of wish it was true it's not okay that was fun well for my final one that i'm going to do for this episode okay I figured i would tie it into 80s halloween And it does not get any more 80s Halloween urban legend than... Yes. The old poison candy for trick-or-treating. Oh, yeah. 
Let's talk about this urban legend, because this is probably one of the most famous ones possible. Absolutely heard it as a kid. Anywhere from poisoned candy to razor blade in the apple, Mm -hmm. all of that. As the story goes, and everybody knows, basically there's psychos out there that will put pins or metal or razor blades into your your apples or your candy and you'll choke on them and you'll die or they'll put poison in all of your candy and Mm -hmm. you'll eat it and you'll die i think every single kid who has ever gone trick-or-treating has been told to be careful of what they get and then their parents have to look through their candy to make sure they see no syringes sticking out or whatever i don't know but it's shocking to me how prevalent this urban legend is and how it's still like a stronghold today. Yeah. I can't think of many other urban legends that still have such a foothold in pop culture. It makes sense though, because you're preying on the weakest. And even if there's like a little nugget of truth as a parent, you're like, I may, what would the harm be in checking? Yeah. You know, so I could see that be building on the fear, you know, of protecting our babies. Yeah. I mean, growing up, I definitely was told that, you know, you got to yeah. look at your candy and you got to be careful. And I would never in a million years take an apple from somebody. Oh, gross. Anyway, it's gross. But it also came back from a time when that was really sweet that they would give candied apples to kids and stuff because mass produced wrapped candy wasn't a thing at that yeah. time. So let's talk about where this came about, Yeah, how this took hold, and then where it really took off, which was really took off in the 80s, but it started way before. I was surprised to find this out, where the idea of poisoned candy in general started Okay, was back with the Industrial Revolution. What? Because this was the first time in human history where people weren't making the food in their homes to give away. Food was being manufactured by strangers and then provided. And so there was already a distrust as to the machines that were making them and the people that were providing Mm -hmm. them and stuff. So it wasn't the razor blade and the apple yet, but it was definitely planting the seed of taking food from strangers is maybe not always the safest thing to do. Mm -hmm. As the years rolled on, there was always this kind of, uh, element in the back of every parent's mind of be careful when you're taking candy from people because we don't know what's in it. The thing that's kind of sad is that um, there's not a whole lot of truth to this. There's some truth that we'll get to. But all in all, statistically speaking, no children have ever died from or even been harmed by uh, like razor blades in candy Mm -hmm. or something like that from a stranger that Mm -hmm. is completely an urban legend and easily trackable the only time there is a a known account to my knowledge is in 1964 when a grumpy old woman in new york saw teenagers trick-or-treating and was so annoyed that they were still trying to trick-or-treat at that age Mm -hmm. that she started handing out as a joke in her mind Things like um, dog treats and Brillo pads. I would do this. And some rat poison. Oh, not so funny. But it clearly said poison and she just threw it and was like, you're too old to be trick-or-treating and then slammed the door and was actually arrested and charged because of it. 
But it's because she was just annoyed that there were older kids trick-or-treating. Interesting. That's the only real account of a stranger doing it. You know what that makes me think of? Mm-hmm. When we were like 18 and 19, one night we ordered pizza and we had not really been adults for very long. And after we ordered it, because we had like counted our quarters to make sure we had enough we realized we did not have enough to tip the person. We had not thought about it because our parents had always tipped. We were very, very young. And we panicked and we wrote a note that said, we're so sorry, we can't tip you, we're poor and we're dumb. And then we just gathered all of the random crap in your house, like a can of beans, some ramen, just weird stuff. Oh, yeah, we gave him a bag, didn't it we? It was a full bag, probably equal to the amount of our pizza. And we were like, we're so sorry. And he was like, thanks. <laughs> and he took our bag. He did not leave oh, it. Of course, he was probably a teenager himself. Probably. Anyway, same idea as the rat poison lady. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Well, if there are other known cases, I didn't have the time to do like an exhaustive search. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to you don't have to email me all the known cases. Please but email him. In general, it is completely debunked as just being a, a total urban legend. However, mm-hmm. there is one absolutely true story and it's very sad. And that is in 1974 in Texas. It's a very famous case. A demented man named Ronald O'Brien actually switched out pixie sticks with cyanide. This is true. And gave them to his own children to try and get the life insurance policy. And only one of his children actually ate it. It was his eight-year-old son and died from it. And he was found guilty. So that's what really sparked this nationwide urban legend. That was the case right there. Wild. Is because as we talked about, sometimes it just starts with some moment of truth. What's interesting about the whole poisoned candy urban legend is that this is the only known like true poisoned candy case. Mm -hmm. But all real documented cases, and there's not a whole lot, of kids eating something that was shoved in the candy or having some sort of poisoning, every single one was either done by a family member mm-hmm. to hide a crime already that was happening. So they blamed it on, like, oh, a stranger gave that mm-hmm. to them to try and kill their own children. Or two, the, the vast majority of these stories over the years are children doing it themselves for attention. And of course, none of them have been harmed because they put the needles... In the candy themselves, but they were just looking for attention. And still to date, the cases of this happening, they're found to be the children doing it themselves for attention. Kids are freaky. Very interesting, though, that it's still um, so prevalent and so at the forefront of everybody's thoughts. And it also is what in the 80s, so we'll get to the the 80s is where it took off. And they started doing all these news reports and exposés on... You have to, you know, watch what your children Uh eat. There's sickos out there that are putting razor blades in the candy. And it actually led to trunk or treat by Christian churches where it was a safe environment where you could go to a church Mm -hmm. and go around to like vetted groups that would not be poisoning your children. And it also in the 80s um, led to the development of taking your kids to the mall to go to each business in the mall to safely get candy. When we were, when we had little, little kids in Wyoming and we could just go to the mall, 
load up their pumpkins and be done. And it was massive because all of the teenagers that worked at the mall yeah. were like, here you go. And we just give them handfuls of candy. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah. Anyway, that's kind of the story of the candy, poison candy. And unfortunately, basically every known case was either mm-hmm. done to cover a, a crime that was unrelated or there were many instances where a kid had a seizure or was poisoned and then they found out it was totally unrelated. They just happened to eat candy the same night. They had a peanut butter allergy. Yeah, oh, no, like, like one had a heart problem oh. and that was later found. But they were like, oh, it's got to be the candy. Mm. Some, some sicko poisoned our kid and that wasn't the case. That makes me think of the, I'm sure you heard this urban legend too, right during the AIDS epidemic that... People who had AIDS, like, apparently lost their mind and just wanted to spread it to everybody. And they would stick needles in their own skin and get their blood on the needles and put it in theater cushion seats. Do you remember that one? <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Uh, look behind me. Mm-hmm. There we got right there. Oh, Jabber. Jabber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the L.A. AIDS Jabber. That's a movie about that. A guy who has AIDS and um, starts just running around town injecting people. Mm-hmm. I remember that. It's kind of the same thing. You know, another thought I would like to add to this is that I've heard a couple stories from, I believe it's World War II, where the, um, the soldiers were given food that was like, filled with broken glass and stuff like that. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's kind of that same idea of the food tampering um, yeah. fear. If it is true, that would explain why a generation of children was freaked out by it if that happened to their parents or their parents saw it yeah. happen. But I, I suspect it's also an urban legend. Yeah. And I'll just say this is like the king daddy of Halloween urban legends. Yeah. And it's funny because even knowing there's no proof of this ever happening by strangers... I still would never in a million years let my kid, like, accept an apple from a stranger. That's totally weird. I have actually accepted an apple, but that was when I lived in a very small town and I I knew the the giver of said apple. Well, exactly. That's the idea is that if you can control who is giving, then you can be a lot more generous with your gifts. It's true. Okay, so for my last one, it is one that's maybe a little more niche, but you probably heard some variation on it. Uh, Charlie No-Face or the Green Man. I don't know this one. So this is an urban legend that originates in Pennsylvania, but I definitely heard a variation on this one when I was a kid. The legend states that a ghost of a faceless boy who had been killed by an electric shock stalked the roads at nights. He's also known as a green man, and it's said that the electricity gave him a greenish glow. And the story I heard, it was just a faceless ghost who killed anyone who saw it. Like if you saw a faceless ghost, you died shortly after or somebody you knew died. Oh, interesting. I've never heard this one. So the story actually behind this is quite true and quite heartbreaking. The story revolves around a real person named Raymond Robinson, who as a boy in Pennsylvania at the age of eight, he climbed like a power pole or a utility pole to pull a bird's nest down and he got electrocuted severely. He didn't die, although I guess the year before some kid had died doing the same thing. Uh, But he did lose his arm, his eyes, and his nose. So he didn't die at all. He He survived this. Mm -hmm. Raymond was aware that his appearance was 
quite shocking. And if you want to see him, there are photos of Raymond and you'll see why, why this urban legend has persisted. Oh, that's so sad. Mm -hmm. Uh, He actually mostly stayed at home and he worked, I think he made belts or something. He worked with his family and he really enjoyed taking long walks, but he did so knowing that his appearance was quite shocking. So he did it at night. Oh, and that's where it came from. Mm-hmm. He liked to take long walks. He waited until night. He took his walks in the dark. Obviously, it didn't matter to him that it was dark because he had no eyes. And he walked using a cane. People would spot him. And he became something of a spectacle because of how he looked. And eventually, looky Loos would like drive this road telling an urban legend of a faceless man. And they would drive down the road trying to spot him. Oh, that's so crazy. Yeah, there's no green to it. That's just added on in the story. But why did he lose his eyes and nose? He I think he got shocked in the face. Oh, and I'm guessing he grabbed at it with his arm because that's why he lost an arm, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they would spot him. Sometimes he would talk with the people just because he's a normal human. But often he would just hide. Oh, man, this is a. A real downer of a story. He was also hit by cars occasionally because he was a blind person walking on the road in the dark. On more than one occasion? Yes. But he survived. Uh, So none of that really stopped his nightly walks. He'd avoid people. He'd just continue walking in the dark. But really the only thing that stopped him was old age. Uh, He became too old to go out on his own and he passed away in a nursing home in 1985. Really? Yeah. Or he was 74 when he died, too. So his story has taken on legend status because there's truth behind it. And people could say, I saw him. Yeah. I saw the faceless yeah, man. Real. Yeah. And I think if you're, you know, a teenager and you didn't stop to talk to him and didn't know the story, absolutely. You could be like, I saw this ghost. My friend told me about him. He was out walking. We drove by him. Wow. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, sad on the on the real end, but also like an instant urban legend that has validation because yeah. you're a teenager driving on a road at night and you don't think you're going to spot somebody without eyes and a nose. That yeah. would be shocking. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, it would be shocking. I mean, it's really unfortunate that people were like, ah, it's a ghost, it's a monster. But truly, if you aren't expecting it, we're human beings, that would be quite quite startling to see on a road in the dark also devil's advocate i'd be like well, what do you expect you're creeping around in the dark with no face well i mean of course people are gonna say there's a monster uh, i mean that's to be fair that was the only time he felt safe because he was trying to avoid people because of the you know spectacle of having no face i know i'm just saying that he's kind of like making the environment way more creepy than it needs to be it's a damned if you do damned if you don't situation (laughs) for poor no face charlie yeah poor no face well that was a lot of fun i feel Mm -hmm. like man we could just maybe we could make this an you know an annual thing there were so many that we missed that i would love to cover so it would be fun to revisit yeah this was a fun idea i hope everybody enjoyed listening to some urban legends and Mm kind of just telling the whole campfire stories idea i think that's perfect for the halloween season and i hope everybody is excited like we are uh there's plans we start trying to figure out our costumes because we're notorious for every single halloween like the day after we go we're gonna nail it next year we're gonna be amazing and then we always about a week before go so what are we doing again yep 
And um, we did that once more. Yep. Just consistency. Yeah. But I will be going to see Wasp on Halloween night, so I'm pretty excited. We're all so thrilled for you. I mean, it's like mainly Blackie Lawless, but it'll it'll be fun. It'll got to check that box off my childhood dream. Okay. All right. I'll report back to everybody. <laughs> it's going to be great. Okay. To everybody out there, I hope you have a fun Halloween. Okay, well, if you like what you heard, you can follow us on Instagram at Lasergraves. You can hear all our back episodes at lasergraves.com. As always, go follow other podcasts out there. They're having a good time. Bad Taste and Reconsidimation and everybody else. But um, I hope you have a fun, safe holiday. Don't get too depressed like I do right after Halloween when I'm bummed out that it's over. And really? I just wanted to come back. Yes, Halloween is so fun. That's weird. We wear costumes like year round. But we're the only ones. That's the problem. Whatever. I love people just wearing costumes for no reason. Just keep keep on doing you. Yeah. In honor of laser graves, find a reason to wear a costume this year that's not on Halloween. Do it. And then tag us in it and we'll post you. Oh, okay. Oh, that'd be cool if that became like a thing. We often dress up uh, in costumes on Thanksgiving. Yeah. I think that's part of our whole uh, Halloween's not over. We refuse. No, it's more of like we like to play dress up because we're weird. Yeah. Okay. It's a potato potato. What ifs? Okay. Bye. Bye.